When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's another week, another defeat, but it is another back-of-the-net AFC Bournemouth podcast. We are up to number 36 with me, Sean Barker. And me, Sam Davis. Now, Sam, I've just got to explain, um, for you listeners might be new to the show, um, we are communicating via Skype and webcam because Sam is up there in Bournemouth and I'm down in New Zealand. But, Sammy... um, I'm not trying to be all cool or do some kind of Stevie Wonder impersonation. I couldn't find my working glasses, so I've got my prescription sunglasses on for today's show. <laughs> I did wonder if you're going to come out with a bit of uh, the happy birthday chorus there, Sean. Happy birthday. Thankfully, you didn't, though. But speaking of birthdays, uh, due to a 30th, I was actually unable to watch the game live uh, this weekend, either in person or there. And... Um, well, it was pretty fortunate that I didn't really, but uh, I did catch the highlights, and even though it was ten minutes long, it didn't make it any easier. I just called to say, here's what's coming up on this week's show. So we'll be getting the back of the net match report as Cherries went down 6-3 at Goodison Park. Thankfully, we didn't need the brackets, but we're also going to have your fan thoughts as well as some media reaction too. Yeah, and then me and Sam are going to have a bit of a chat about the game, but also just about the whole situation and what's going on at the moment and where are we going to get our next points from? Yeah, and it was very interesting reading your views online as well. So across Twitter, the forums and many of the Cherries blogs and fanzines, we're going to be taking in the online review. Plus, it includes an impassioned plea from Cherries fan Jamie Williams. Fans, just got to get behind the team. Simple as that. Whether you like it or not, we're needed right now. And that is a fact. So get off your asses, start singing, because this team... Is heading one way at the moment. Interesting. And then we'll preview the next game coming up, which is just what you want when you're low on confidence. It's Pep Guardiola's Manchester City in town for Monday night football. (laughs) Oh, man, it doesn't get any easier, does it? Nor does Do You Remember, or does it? Now, we always like to have a bit of a twist. So I've got my old wireless here, and it's a kind of back-to-the-future wireless, so I can zoom back the years. So can you guess what match and what year this is? Now, let's just turn the dial. The Londoners were soon showing Mel Machin's team what they're up against as they dominated the first quarter of an hour. The first half then safely negotiated and ten minutes into the second, the sweetest moment of Bournemouth's season. Scott Mean the scorer and second division survival starting to look possible. It would be brighter than ever if they could find a way back. Paul Abrahams obliged. 
So Steve Jones must have been as surprised as anyone to get a free run on goal. And Bournemouth 2-1 up with 16 minutes to go. Closest rivals Cambridge could only draw at home to Huddersfield. Bournemouth, for the first time all season, are out of the relegation zone. Two points clear. Oh, Sammy, you said it might be easier. Well, it was for me because that is still the greatest game of football involving AFC Bournemouth that I have ever, ever, ever been to. Oh, that's some statement there, Mr. Barker. Very interesting. Uh, I suppose some people, neutrals and Everton fans, might have thought that this weekend was one of the best games that they've been to. But sadly, not for us cherries, as here Michael summarises in this week's match report. Our poorest cherry shared nine goals at Goodison Park on Saturday as our worrying start to 2017 continued. Eddie has been looking for a solution to conceding three goals in every game, but it's fair to assume that he did not advise his players to eradicate this concern by shipping six goals instead. With the defeat at home to Palace fresh in the memory and Charlie Daniels and Adam Smith injured, Eddie sprung a surprise by playing three at the back in the shape of Steve Cook, Tyrone Mings and Simon Francis. Josh King deservedly took over from the luckless Callum Wilson up front, whilst no less than four central midfielders were flooding the middle of the park as former toffee Dan Gosling joined Wilshire, Sermon and Arta. Unfortunately, Gosling was still reminiscing about his days on Merseyside as a young man when the game kicked off, and he casually surrendered possession to Morgan Schneidlin, who instigated a quick-fire passing move from which Romelu Lukaku curled a superb left-foot effort beyond Arta Boritz to give Everton the lead inside the first minute. Whenever Bournemouth score an early goal, we seemed to then struggle to build on it, but there was no such problem for Ronald Koeman's side, who dominated proceedings for the rest of the first half, adding two more goals to their tally before the break. On 23 minutes, Lukaku powered past Mings and Mark Pugh out wide before cutting the ball back to James McCarthy. The Irish international saw his first effort hit Steve Cook, but was rapidly onto the rebound, doubling the home side's lead with Boris stranded after throwing himself in the direction of the original efforts. Six minutes later, Simon Francis guaranteed himself another sleepless night when, failing to spot six-foot-three-inch Lukaku lurking in the penalty box, he played the ball across the goal mouth in the vague direction of Steve Cook. Lukaku pounced, finishing past a helpless Boritz, and the Cherries were left to crawl to half-time without allowing the Toffees to extend their lead further. Eddie's hairdryer must be getting worn out at the moment, and he has had to wield it quite a bit lately, but on this occasion it did at least have a positive impact. Francis and Gosling were withdrawn for Brad Smith and Jordan Ibe as the Cherries reverted to a more familiar 4-5-1. We looked far more comfortable in this formation and after carving out a couple of chances through Ibe and Wilshire, we finally got on the board on 59 minutes. Wilshire took possession of the ball just outside the 18-yard box, pointed to where he expected Josh King to be and duly found the Norwegian in that exact spot. King coolly chested the ball down and flicked it past Robles. We then took a measure of control that surprisingly saw the home crowd begin to turn on their players. On 70 minutes, the Cherries were within a goal of drawing level when Ryan Fraser exchanged passes with Ivan Sermon before sending in a precise low centre which beat Seamus Coleman, allowing King to finish from close range. With momentum very much swinging in our direction, an unlikely comeback was now on the cards. Archer and Pugh went close before our number eight went closer still when his left foot effort from outside the box zipped through the air but curled close enough to Robles that he could make the save. Unfortunately, the Cherries were unable to find an equaliser and on 83 minutes Lukaku completed his hat-trick. The Belgian charged forward before laying the ball wide to Seamus Coleman. Yet again, Lukaku pulled his invisible man stunt with none of the Bournemouth rear guard following his run into the box allowing the Everton centre forward time and space to hook a volley past Boritz. There was little time to recover from this latest defensive shambles when Lukaku claimed his fourth and Everton's fifth a minute later. Ross Barkley backheeled the ball into Lukaku's path and after shrugging off the attentions of Tyrone Mings and Steve Cook, the home side's number 10 finished past Boritz. That made it 5-2, but with six minutes left plus injury time, there was still plenty of scope for more goals. First, 
Harry Arter claimed his maiden strike of the season, although strike might not be quite the right word to describe his effort. Taking the ball from a Fobe, Harry hit the ball onto Robles' chest and then chased it down by the touchline. The ball came off the post, and although television replays suggest that it went out of play, our London Irishman played to the whistle, forcing the ball home from inches out. Again, we pushed forward for more, despite still being two goals behind. This left us even more exposed at the back than normal. Fuenas Mori hoofed the ball forwards towards Barkley, who found himself clean through on Boris' goal. Our big pole elect to race off his line, only to be rounded by Barkley, who then did even more to enhance his reputation with the travelling fans when celebrating his goal even before he'd taken a shot. Unfortunately, he was not to feature in endless What Happened Next quizzes and rolled the ball in to make it 6-3. We've had a lot of fun in the past few years at Dean Court, but recent results suggest that the fun may be over. It looks like we're in the dogfight for the remainder of the season, but lest we forget, this is the club that has thrived in adversity over the years. Things look bleak at the moment, but fingers crossed, Eddie has still got a bit of his old magic dust left to keep the red flag flying high in the Premier League. So thank you, Michael Dunn, covering all departments of the weekend's game at Goodison Park. And remember, you can follow him on Twitter at all departments and do give him a follow because he's sure to be tweeting and retweeting some of the best content from in and around the AFC Bournemouth Twitter sphere. Now, thank you very much to everyone who contributed with the fan thoughts and the song choices this week. Now, fan thoughts-wise, we've got thoughts from Ben Phillips, young Ben, who's in the main stand. We've got Jamie Williams as well, and never one to shy away from controversy. We've got a bit more of Jamie as well on the online review later on. You'll be sure to listen to that, won't you? And, of course, we've got Matt from AFCB TV, and, well, he wasn't overly happy either, but... None of us were, were we? So, in terms of the song choices, we had a few suggestions. Robert Murphy came in with Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. Hmm, that was a fairly chilled out choice, Robert, although you did have a few days to calm down about that one. I'd love to have heard your thought at 5pm, but always one to come in with a suggestion, but I don't think we've had one played yet from Mr. Paul Kenwood, famous from Red and Black, the charity matches at Dean Court. Paul, I think you scored a wonder goal there once, but... He comes up with Oasis, Stop Crying Your Heart Out. And the lyrics, well, they're pretty apt. Hold on, don't be scared, you'll never change what's been and gone. Hit the music, please. atrocious game um, it's like a 3-6-1 or something formation I thought I counted but um, disappointing to the most um, like our defence you have a look right back line if you watch match of day Tyrone Mings Sermon and Wilshire you can see those three where's Cook where's our defence where I think the game yesterday was crazy at the least well, this Bournemouth's first half was very odd. Um, and Simon Francis, what, I don't know what, what was wrong with him. That pass to Lukaku was like he was an Everton player. Just straight to him, bam. But the second half was much, much brighter. Apart from this in three goals, we, we scored three. So, in my mind, the match would be Ryan Fraser. He played very well. I never thought more like singing the blues when Everton win and Liverpool lose. What a day to be an Evertonian. Six points behind our Liverpool neighbours. What a turnaround in the last month or so. Since the new year, we've been absolute brilliant. Koeman's got the Deadwood out, brought in some quality additions. Luckman's going to be a player. But we've got one man who stands up and scores goals, and that's Romelu Lukaku. His goal-scoring record for a 23-year-old is unbelievable. Um, it, just, it just gets better and better. Bournemouth had a go second half, and really puts under pressure but we have one man Romelu Lukaku take a booster and enjoy your Saturday night come on you blues what a weird game because this was a day to sit back and go this is lovely it's 
beautiful day, pitch was perfect, Everything, everybody was happy. Lookman played really well, they liked him, lots of tricks there. Everything was going like a dream, and then the second half, Eddie Howty's credit went for it. Just, you know, let's go a bit more advanced. They got Jack Wilshire, more of the ball. He started to play cunning little passes, clever runs from King. And at 3-2, uh, when it went to 3-2, I was only looked like Bournemouth were going to get something from this. Look back at what they did against Arsenal. It'd be three up and then blow it. And now he's looking at the whole setup. Aki's gone. They can't get a, a he can't get a solid performance at the back since he's gone. He missed out in the window. We talk about a lot of clubs not getting the right people in. The troubles are, are staring him in the face. Um, scoring three goals and not winning the game. At any level is just unacceptable. Like our defending at the moment is ridiculous. Conceding six is just embarrassment, really. Um, although Everton are a good side and they have got a world-class striker in Lukaku, we're just completely soft-centered. We we've got no one in defensive midfield who, who will uh, put a tackle in because Sermon hasn't got the legs to do it and he's not his game, and he's also isolated all the time. When we got our full-backs push high and wide both of them, which make no sense, other than to try and push their wingers back, but half the time they don't go all the way back with them anyway, so they, we're just set up to be counter-attacked on, and a number of times in their game we were just not closed as a team, we were completely open, it was just easy for them to go from their 18-yard box to our 18-yard box in about three passes, that's not acceptable. We have to have at least one fullback put helping Sermon inside, because otherwise that will continue to happen, and it has continued to happen since we've been in the, in the Premier League. We've always had a problem with it, um, like we've always had a problem with physical play. Any crosses into the box is uh, causing us problems. We needed to buy a defensive midfielder, and we needed to buy a centre-back. We just haven't done it. Well, that was Jamie Williams there with his frank and forthright opinions about what's going on. And you can hear more from him in the online review a bit later on. As I said, never one to shy away from being controversial and credit to him for coming on. And remember, you can do so too, like Ben Phillips did, like Matt from AFCB TV did. We also had Jamie, an Everton fan, and Charlie Nicholas from Sky Sports News as well. If you want to get involved, just send us a voice note to fans at afcbpodcast.com straight after the game or give us a call on our automated voicemail and that's 01202 90 10 48. So I just wanted to explain my situation this weekend. It was uh, my wife's 30th birthday so I took her away to a to a spa. We went to uh, Kerry's Manor in in the New Forest and um, mobile reception was pretty damn dodgy but she had a facial at around three, three o'clock so I was sat by the pool and I was getting some of the scores through every so often and one nil, two nil, three nil. I thought, oh my goodness, this is, this is, this is absolutely terrible. You popped into the sauna, chilled out a bit, went into the Laconium. Oh, all the different rooms. Amazing. Came out three, two. And I'm thinking, this, hang on, you know, this is happening now. I saw some of the tweets. I saw the first half tweets and I saw the people who were getting very enthusiastic. And then I left it for a bit. And then I came out at full time. Worst thing that could have happened. I went onto the BBC website afterwards and I was really intrigued to see a paragraph on the match report that said, given their recent form... Bournemouth might have expected to roll over after conceding after just 30 seconds, yet despite shipping six goals, they will surely take some positives from this match. Sean, could you take some positives from that match? <laughs> um, yeah, you, there were some positives. Yes, there were some positives. Yes, Sammy, there were some. But um, there was a lot of um, negative as well. And Interesting, your little run down there of the sauna and the tanning beds and all that. It was like a, a day in the life of Jason Tindall. <laughs> That's what it sounded like. But, I mean, it, it, yeah, well, thanks to um, BN Sports down here in New Zealand, who I seem to have an ongoing battle with, um, I've got to congratulate them for actually giving me the service I'm paying for because I actually got to watch the game, which was splendid and, and until the actual game started. And 30 seconds, well, five seconds in, there's the incident where Josh King... Um, sticks his arms around the throat and there's the free kick and then yeah from there just 
Tyrone Mings didn't really know whether he wanted to pump it down the line or play it inside. And I mean, we've got to talk when we talk about this match report. We have to talk about Lukaku and incredible finishing. Yeah. I mean, absolutely clinical finishing for all his goals. But the way that we conceded them, awful, awful, awful. You know, whether it was sloppy passing for the first with the second one, Tyrone Mings, he lets Lukaku go into the box like he he drops back, which he did against um, uh, Hernandez when he scored for Hull the other week, didn't he? Mings backs off and backs off. And the problem is when you when you're in the area, you can't tackle the guy anymore. So Lukaku then quick feet to go through Mings and Pew. But that was atrocious. The third goal. Oh, just, I mean, again, great finish, but we've just given it to him. And, yeah, just to be 3-0 down, and let's be honest, I mean, they totally dominated us on the ball, really, and and the goals. I mean, I know Eddie felt like we were in the game, but we weren't. No, we just looked stone cold, and it was... It was really horrible to see that first goal. Now, as I said, I, I wasn't watching live, and uh, I have just seen the highlights. So, by the way, well done if you went up to uh, Goodison Park. Completely loyal, and, uh, you know, I've got to congratulate you and salute you for making the trip there. Um, but, yeah, 30 seconds. But their they're fast, free-flowing football, one touch at times, it was... It, it wasn't a joy to watch. It would be a joy to watch if you were a neutral, but it just made me think, oh, I miss the days when Bournemouth used to start matches with intensity like that. I mean, Arsenal was that last match, and as I said last week, it seems to be um, just how our whole season is. Like, you know, we, we initially started off uh, really quickly and, you know, really well in matches, and then, you know, that. 20-minute spell against Arsenal seems to sum up how we're playing now. We just look completely lacklustre. And as you said there, Ming's getting just tied up in knots with Lukaku. All he did was a step over. It wasn't complex what he did. And it's even just the way the goals that go in. Like that second one where there was a bit of a deflection and then Boric had already committed himself and it just rolled into the middle of the goal. And Bournemouth did that a few times last season. And it's um, it was like watching chuckle vision at times. Yeah, and the, the whole thing about not starting quick. I mean, Eddie said, he was talking with Chris Temple, I think it was, and he was saying about, oh, you know, we know when we come to Everton, we had to try and keep it tight. But then, you know, not try and concede or whatever else. But then then says, well, we're not going to change. We're still going to be attacking. And, you know, the reality is, is you can't just be an attacking side and expect to pick up points and not be picked apart by quality opposition, which is what is happening. And so now you've got the situation where you've got players playing with little confidence. So that means, you know, passes are being astray or there's, you know, there's a, a look like with Mings with that first goal. Should he pump it long or should he should he be playing it inside? And we kind of thought there was a bit of a discussion on Twitter and we touched on it last week, really, about how much the players are coached and Fraser in and Stanislas in recent interviews in the press have, have alluded to. Eddie is very meticulous about the way that we play. You know, we know where a player's going to be when they're on the ball and where they should pass it. And I do think we, we're potentially seeing that coming against us now where players don't necessarily have that freedom to try something. So with Ibe, Ibe, when he came on in the second half, he made some runs and yes, he still ran down some blind alleys and potentially gave it away a bit easier than he should have done. But he was trying stuff and he was driving at them which we just, it does, you know, what we're doing at the moment isn't working and there has to be something different to help us. Now, in this game, in the second half, we changed the shape, we got rid of the back three and we changed our, our lineup. And yes, we did look better. When we changed tactically against Palace, we looked better. But what that also means is the tactics that we started with weren't working in that game. So the last two games, and we probably go back deeper than that, we're not being lined up effectively to cause a positive impact on the game. Mm, I'm just actually watching some of the highlights now whilst we're talking to you, Sean. And uh, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to go through this sort of uh, segment of me and you talking without mentioning a few of the culprits. Uh, we've been seeing a few people on 
online on Twitter mentioning certain players, and we'll be covering that off mainly in the online review a bit later on, but uh, we can't go on without mentioning Simon Francis. Many people said he had his worst game in a cherry shirt. He got subbed at half-time, apparently due to a hamstring injury. Um, but I'm just, I'm just watching that third goal, that Luca, the Everton's third goal. What was he thinking with that back pass? I mean, do you think it's almost too ingrained in the AFC Bournemouth philosophy to have to play the ball out from the back? Because sometimes you've just got to get rid. Now, when Simon Francis had the ball in the right back position there, there was Cookie there, of course, but I mean, Lukaku was running forward. He was anticipating that, and well, he was quids in as soon as the ball was played. But sometimes, do you think players are almost too scared just to hoof it out? Uh, possibly, but I, I don't know. I, uh, I think his decision to try the pass for me was the right thing to do. It just didn't execute it, you know. And of course, it's easy to say, well, he could have just pumped it out, but I don't know if I'd really want to see our centre back just pumping it from there. I don't know, it just, with that back three, we we didn't even seem to really be playing that overly effectively with, with Mings, Cook and Francis. I mean, the amount of times where they were so wide and so far apart that Francis was kind of almost playing as a right back and Mings was almost playing at a left back, you know, instead of with a lot of these formations with three at the back, they kind of operate within a narrow channel, which is like the width of the penalty area. And it's like, well, this is going to be nice and solid and we're not going to get let anyone slip through. At times when we're on the ball, we're still kind of lining up as if they're fullbacks and then we're getting caught, which certainly is not helping. I mean, to be fair, and we have to talk about the, yeah. the second half where, yes, we did get back into it. I think, you know, the shape helped. We did change, went to a back four, more of a four-four-one-one kind of setup with our fullbacks pushing on a big part and I was reading an interesting article focused on Everton and their tactics in the game which was absolutely true is they were pressing us in the first half and they were bossing us in the middle they set back sat back which they're three goals up which often in games against us we look better once we're three down because we get more time now we did exploit them and we did get higher up the field and we got those two goals and then we had some other chances, yes. But as soon as Everton kind of put their foot back on the accelerator again and suddenly they started passing in our half, which they weren't really doing prior to that. They were lots of long balls. The Kakula isolated. As soon as their midfielders were like, oh, we need to get back in this. They then would just went, nah, give us the ball. We're back in charge here. And, and I felt really that momentum we had just dropped enough to make us think uh oh they're going to get another goal and of course if they're going to attack they were going to score another goal so I, I felt like the whole little bit of a false dawn about us getting back in credit to the boys for getting back in the game but I still feel that Everton totally deserved to win the game and overall I don't think we were good enough mm, it's interesting just reading what people are saying online about the game Paul Kenwood Francis unable to pass to our team. Boric is questioning, uh, sorry, Boric is positioning in question and Mings in the wrong position. Tony Rogers, Mings not able to man mark. He's a left back. No more transfer chatter. Work with what we have. No choice. Some noise for the boys. Um, Jamie Williams now, he's been uh, in the fan thoughts as you heard. Now we're going to hear from him a little bit more in the online review a bit later on. And by the way, we also had a few puns as well. Cherry's left red-faced again as they can't defend for Toffee. That was Steve Wright. And Nobby Dog with six-course disaster as Cherry Crumble swamped by tricky Toffee Pudding. Nobby Dog, absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much for that one. But, Sean, where's it leaving you uh, feeling for the rest of the season? How are you feeling as a whole after that? I mean, does it, as I said at the start, was scoring those three goals a, a slight crumb of comfort for you? Um, I don't know. It's hard to assess that just in nature of the game. But like I say, because Everton were three up, they were comfortable and they sat back. We got it back in it. They applied the pressure and just went, OK, as soon as they hit the on switch, they just destroyed us again with some... St and the, the, the goals near the end of the game were... I know we were chasing it and whatever else, but still, I mean, the last goal was... That's somebody put on long line. It was just like Sunday League. Just no one covering in the middle, just a long ball. And, you know, it was... It was a tough one, and it's it's tough looking forward now because 
we've got 14 games have we got 14 games to go no we got we play and we've got yeah that's right we've played 24 now i think yeah so we've got 14 games to go and we need 14 points for us to hit the big 4-0 so that's what we need you know in terms of the the 40 point mark so we start breaking that down and you go well 14 points from 42 games now i'm going to go a little bit stato on you guys here so just bear with me with those 14 games five of them are against what we would deem as the big boys man city man united liverpool chelsea spurs okay now let i'm going to be put my pessimistic hat on and go we're not going to get anything out of those games Yes, we could, and we have. But you know what? I'm just saying, on current form, and let's look at positioning, you struggle to say we're going to get points. So if you take those away, you go, we get 14 points from nine games. But you've got West Brom away. You've got West Ham aside back in form. Swansea aside on the up with the manager. Southampton away. Southampton in bad form. It's a derby. They're going to need to dig deep. They're the home side. Do you so? Do you say? Well, they've possibly got the advantage. Then we've got Middlesbrough. You'd still like to think we could win that. Sunderland away, but then who knows whether Sunderland are on a crest of continuing to pick up points. Stoke. Again, you could say we could get something out of that, depending on whether they're up or down. Burnley at home, and then Leicester away last game. Now, who knows? Leicester could be fighting for relegation so could we it's looking at where are those points going to come from and that's where i start to worry i still think we will we have the potential to get out of this but we say 40 points newcastle went down on 37 points it's just it's not all rosy is it and you start looking at where are we picking up 14 points four wins and two draws three wins and five draws two wins and eight draws one win and 11 draws? Mm, it is It is quite scary, really, when you look at it. Now, in terms of uh, where we're at, compared to last season, Newcastle United were in 18th place with 21 points. Now, I think that's the same as what Hull have got now, and they're in 18th place. But we had 28 points this time last season, but you know, we've got less than that. I think we've got enough to go up. You see the debates online, and this moves us kind of nicely into the online review, Sean. There's a lot of um, anger, a lot of vitriol on Twitter amongst the Bournemouth fans, and it's less. There's less people being um, sympathetic and philosophical. I was quite philosophical because I was quite chilled out after my Turkish hammam. But because um, you're quite a placid character online, do you find it very difficult not to get involved in those kind of debates where you see Eddie getting slagged off to death and people just consistently moaning and you just think oh, well if you if you've consigned yourself to relegation now why aren't you more sort of melancholy about it why aren't, why aren't why can't you just resign yourself to the resignation of the fact that yes you were right you predicted this three weeks ago instead it's this constant anger and the reason why that is is because they don't believe it themselves i'm sure they think we're going to stay up but they're they're just angry at the situation and they're they're throwing out the r word as almost a uh i don't know as a you know, fear tactics for everyone else who they think's in this happy clappy land. Like, make no mistake, we all know that we're in a bad position, yes. But to be banding about the R word, I think, yes, it is going to be tight and it's it's not going to be easy. I'm not saying that we're uh, miles clear because we're not, what is it, five points? But I do think we've got enough to stay up, surely. The way we play football, we can stay up and it's not going to be like this until the rest of the season uh, you'd hope not but it i still think it could be i still think it's and this is the this is the interesting point as a fan and again we have talked about this a lot around fan expectations team expectations at what point are we just happy to be here and think of where we've come from versus okay that was the past this is the reality now I mean, the talk of Eddie getting sacked and whatnot is is absolute nonsense. I'll just get that out there. Absolute nonsense. And I don't want us to become one of those yo-yo clubs that we, we get rid of a manager because we're on a bad run. We get in another manager and we have a little spike and then we drop and then we spike and then we drop. Where we are, I think we've risen so quickly that we're still 
above the station where we we're we're still overachieving in terms of where we are i think is the reality and, and that's not taking anything away from our credit but of being in the premier league but if we if we ended this this season or next season and we became a well-established championship club in the grand scheme of things we have still made long-term an improvement on the previous however many years where we've been a third division dwelling football team and managers and teams go through bad spells every there's also there's this belief that we should always a manager should always give improvement and you should always always be getting better and better and better if that was the reality we'd have a different premier league champion every year it would be like american football to bring that game that you hate into oh. the equation whereby other than the patriots who totally dominate teams have great runs because of the draft but they'll go on a great run and then they'll win and then they drop down again whatever else but in football there are teams that go through good runs and then they go through a bad spell and you either become a club that sacks and move on or like us if we did go down then we still build and we still carry on and we still support and i it's a hard one to or do we become uh, just a Premier League side, and is this the nature now? And we're going to sh- get rid of our back four who've been with us for years, and we're going to bring in, you know, Johnny right back who's with us for a year on thirty-five grand a year, and then he's got a better offer, and he goes somewhere else, and then we get another players in here, there, and everywhere, and we do we then lose the club that we've always been? And that's that's my worry is is that we lose what we've got and what we've got is special it's special in in english football in british football and, and pretty special in world football really and i think we're in an a, a, a difficult situation now and this is as fans as a club as to what do we want to be and where do we want to go um what do we want what are we prepared to lose to p- potentially achieve more hmm. Interesting stuff, Mr. Barker. Well, the online review is coming up, but we'll just end this segment with a little bit of positivity. Last season, Swansea City were in the same position as us. 24 games and 26 points. Uh, They actually ended up the season in 12th position with 47 points. So that was an incredible run of results for Swansea at the end of the season. So they, you know, they did very well. They got 21 points from their last 14 matches, and that included matches against Spurs, against Arsenal, against Chelsea, against Manchester City, against Liverpool, against the champions Leicester City. There is hope yet, so do not fear Bournemouth fans. But it was very interesting seeing what Bournemouth fans were saying on Twitter this weekend and Vitals and amongst the blogs as well. And this forms part of this week's online review so this weekend AFC Bournemouth's online supporters weren't exactly in a positive mood before going into the match versus Everton at Goodison with anything more than zero points being considered a relative success but can you blame them The untidy and downright careless performances recently have done little to inspire or give hope, and as the season closes in, a threadbare defence, another Callum Wilson ACL, and some questionable managerial decisions, they've all contributed to leaving the supporters dazed, confused, and generally needing a lie down. So, the behavioural timeline on Saturday went something like this. 2pm. Bewilderment and caution at Eddie's team selection. 3pm, and never say die, we're in this together type siege mentality. No time for negativity, let's get behind the boys and let's not mention the R word. 3.01pm, we're getting relegated. And fans weren't very happy. On Twitter, quotes were coming in such as, get the team to take a supporters coach home and let the AFC Bournemouth fans fly. Maybe they need to come off their high horses and have a reality check. Matt on Twitter said, People saying Eddie needs to wake up and change the defence, apart from put Cargill in, what can we do now? AFCB Peter, Like I said earlier in the week, you are mental if you think we're not in a whole lot of trouble, especially with our best three fixtures. And there were a lot more tweets besides, 
many of which I can't read, but as the evening went on, it got slightly more philosophical, with AFCB underscore 97 saying, Still got to try and get behind the boys. We do have enough to stay up, and I'm confident that Eddie is the right man in charge. Stu Brownlee. Feeling strangely philosophical, we scored goals. If we have goals in us, we have a chance. Love you all. Night. Were you on the vino, Mr. Bramley? Josh Brown. Tough times. The lads didn't throw in the towel. They need us more than ever now. We need to back them all the way. Cherry Chimes. Got to admire AFCB's spirit. Even if they were totally outplayed in the first half, that comeback spirit will keep them up. Tom Jordan. This club has gave me so much, I'll never stop believing and keeping faith in them. Tough times, but the lads lead us now. I do respect everyone's right to moan, and I feel annoyed of late, but negativity will get us nowhere. Believe in this amazing club. Faith. But despite all these inspirational quotes and comments, there were a few things that irked some supporters, including Gary Wright, who said, What infuriated me more was AFC Bournemouth's tweet that it was a, in quotation marks, mixed day. Well, on the blogs, there were some good summations of events on Saturday. Cherry chimes. There weren't too many high points for the Cherries at Everton, but Josh King supplied a couple of goals in the number nine role that offers some hope going forward. His second goal in particular that got me out of my seat as it was Ryan Fraser who, just like in the Watford match, had got behind the Everton defence and had whipped in a super low cross that Josh had no trouble to feed his goal count on. Josh is keeping his shots on target at the moment. The power and the pace of King is what I think AFC Bournemouth fans like most about him. But if he can add sharper finishing to his game, then we'll have the complete striker. I'm not sure if Josh prefers playing on the wing as a number 10 or as the front man, but his ability to get into areas that cause teams problem is becoming evident. Jack Wilshire signalled to Josh quite clearly for where he should go to receive a pass for his first goal, and the link play between Jack and Josh has looked better than we've ever seen before between Jack and Benick, or with Callum in my opinion. Why that is may just be that Josh is a player that's instinctively looking for Jack to feed him in, and I see this as a good partnership in future games as long as Jack is allowed to play close in behind Josh. And you can visit Cherry Chimes at afcbchimes.blogspot.com. Now, Tom Jordan, who we mentioned earlier on, also has an excellent website. It's his blog of all things AFCB. Check it out, tomjordanafcb.wordpress.com. And over the weekend, he wrote... I appreciate everyone's right to moan at the minute, as the results and performances have simply been not good enough of late. To go to Everton and score three goals and still be nowhere near winning the football match is a worry. I'm with you all. However, you're all equally just going to have to accept my positive nature when it comes to this football club. Negativity will get us nowhere. All we can do is believe in this group and this manager and get right behind the boys for the visit of Manchester City on Monday night. We have drawn at home to both Arsenal and Spurs this season, as well as beating Liverpool. I agree on this recent form, it's highly unlikely, but on our day we can shock anyone in this league. I understand that my positivity can equally be as infuriating as I find the negativity. If any of you watch Arsenal fan TV, for example, Ty is ridiculously positive, whatever the Arsenal score, and I find it baffling, mainly because Arsenal have got no better in recent years with the same problems being their undoing season on season. So, why am I so positive? Well, it's nothing like Arsenal. For example, every single season under Eddie we have progressed, and that's why I'm so confident we will get it right again. I never thought we'd gain automatic promotion from League One at the time, never thought we'd win the championship at the time when we won it, I was worried of our chances to avoid the drop in the Premier League. My football club has continued to amaze me with its sheer never-say-die attitude and togetherness. We have been defying the odds season after season and I told myself to never doubt this club again, so I won't be. And as I say, I respect everyone's right to moan and everyone's opinions but this club has given us so much, so let's keep the faith and get behind the lads when they'll need us the most. Top words, Tom. So it's great reading the views online of Cherries fans, but we also love hearing the views as well. Now, we heard briefly from Jamie Williams earlier, and we wanted to take some positives out of the game and ask his opinion about who are we going to play going forward. This is what he said. Positives from the game, second half when we went to like a 4-1-4-1 or 4-3-3, however you want to word it. Um, we looked far, far more comfortable, although Sermon was still isolated in midfield, so we have to sort the full-back problem out. You can't have them both up all the time. 
especially against City when they've got Sterling and Sane on the wings. They will just rip us apart. You can shuttle out from cent- like a false fullback position to push out to them. If you give De Bruyne and Silver and people like that space in the middle against uh, 2v1 against uh, uh, Andrew Sermon, <laughs> there's only going to be one outcome. We've, I'd go with uh, I because he's shown a little bit of promise in the last two games. He's shown a bit of uh, industry you can take on players. Also, Fraser, I'd go on the wings as well because he uh, he's just quick and direct, and we can catch them. Hopefully, catch them on the counter. King's got to start up top because he scored two goals. So, a phobia on the bench, right back. <sighs> Your guess is as good as mine. We got zero right backs. We got Cargill, Mings, Brad Smith, and Steve Cook. You can't have Cargill and Mings in centre back because Cook's got to play in there. So we got two left footed options maybe at right back in Mings and Brad Smith or Cargill. Well, three. They're all left footed. Um, so I'd go probably somewhere like Dan Gosling because he's got energy. He can fill, He can do that role of pushing inside to help Sermon out in the middle. When we're high up the pitch, if we are high up the pitch, we probably won't see much of the ball to get that high up the pitch. But we need someone who can put a tackle in. And Fraser, although he did tap the goal uh, for King, he's probably not going to be good enough defensively. You could maybe put Mark Pugh there, but again, is he physical enough? Is he quick enough? I don't know. So make no mistake, there's going to be some tough times ahead for us Cherries. However, we can make a difference, as Jamie went on to explain. Man City Monday. Fans, just got to get behind the team. Simple as that. Whether you like it or not, we're needed right now. And that is a fact. So get off your asses, start singing, because this team is heading one way at the moment. And although it might not directly affect the result. Our home uh, atmosphere has been shocking recently and our home performance has been shocking. So we need to get behind the players. We haven't got what we need in the transfer window. We've got to go with what we got and that is it. We hopefully will have enough, but we have got to show what our club is built on and that is spirit. And that's players, they've got to show spirit and they did in the second half today. And from on Monday, fans, got to show it. Got to show some passion. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. See you soon. Bonjour. My name is Frank Rowling, and you're listening Back of the Net. So, Cherries entertain Manchester City on Monday, the 13th of February. It's live on Sky, so a bit of an extended break. Slightly longer than usual. And it's not going to be an easy game, as ever, against Manchester City. Now, Manchester City were relatively active during the transfer window. They made a surprise late signing of midfielder Yangel Herrera on transfer deadline day. Um, And also, they secured the signing of a 15-year-old as well. Where's their youth policy gone? They've got that massive complex, haven't they, over at Eastlands? But uh, no... Uh, it's going to be an interesting game, Sean. Um, Manchester City have improved a fair bit, well, fairly, of late. And, uh, of course, we're on this eternal slide, so this is a great match to get back into it, surely. We can pull this off, right? Let's be positive. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, when you're on a bad run of form, you, it's hard when you're coming up against such a good side because, you know, as much as you want to try and build and think you can get... A, a result turnover a result obviously it's going to be pretty damn tough in our favor it is a night game at dean court which does usually get the crowd going a little bit more and you know to echo what other people have said the players do need us at the moment regardless of what we feel when the ball's not in play during the game we've got to try and get behind them so could it be one of those magical nights under the lights um, my heart says yes, that would be wonderful. Um, Premier League doesn't let you live by your heart much. It's very <laughs> much driven by performance a lot of the time. So I think it is going to be a tough, tough day for us. The issue we've got is is with the squad that we've got, and yes, there is talk that we could look at the free agent market, but as Eddie said, generally players are free agents at this part of the season for a reason. It's unlikely, I'd say, that we're bringing anyone in. 
So you're looking at the side saying who's going to play and who's going to play where. If Adam Smith is still out injured, and let's say that Stephen, let's say that Francis uh, didn't suffer too bad of injury where he got dragged. I mean, uh, got um, taken off for it due to an injury at half time <laughs> against Everton. Then do you do you have a back four when is Daniel's fit or not? Who knows? But Brad Smith, Eddie said that he was happy with what he did. Is it Brad Smith, Mings, Cook, and Francis as a back four? Do we stay as a three if we haven't got a right back that's available? It's a tough one to know who's going to play where. King, you'd say, is nailed on at the top after his performance. You've got to say they're still going to play Wilshire. It's, I alluded to it, or I didn't allude, I did say it on Twitter. For me, we're at that point of the season where we need an injection of something different. Now, some teams go and get a new manager at this point. And doesn't always work. Look at Allardyce at Palace. We're not going to do that. Sometimes it's a new signing. We didn't make any of those unless Aaron Ramsdale can play up top. <laughs> so you're saying, well, what's going to give us something new? For me, it could be Lewis Cook. It could be, not just because of the shirt, Sammy. I think he's a good player. <laughs> it, it, is it Maxi Gradle? Is Maxi going to come back and give us something different? Is Lise Mousset going to come good? Is it's there's only so many times you can play the same players and expect a different result and maybe it makes a player to change that but then the problem you've got is you say okay well if lewis cook's going to come in how do we accommodate him if you're not going to drop arter you're not going to drop wilshire and you're not going to drop sermon or if you drop sermon you play gosling because arter cook and wilshire as a middle three would be incredibly exciting but does that give us enough of the defensive holding position? Do we need a defensive hold? You know, it's it's a real tough one. And then out wide, Ibe did pretty well. So is he going to be knocking on the door? Fraser's been pretty constant. It's There's not many... Yeah. We haven't got a huge squad, but we have still got enough options. It's just a matter of getting the right ones. I mean, what do you think, Sam? Yeah. Um, it's going to be very tricky with our defence. I mean, if Francis has genuinely got a hamstring injury and he's out as well as Adam Smith, then I haven't got a clue. I mean, Steve Cook seems very lost alongside Tyrone Mings. Obviously, they've not played together. I'm sure in time they could form a relatively good partnership, but as Steve Wright said on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, was it last week... Mings, for all his power and his strength, he, he kind of looks a bit like Bambi at times on ice. Um, he just seems a little bit slow to react. I'm sure he's going to get better, but I, I really don't feel confident with him at the back. Like this horrible, this horrible feeling. It was almost like when Jimmy Glass was goalkeeper for Bournemouth. You just thought, what on earth is going to happen today? As it turned out, he came good. Well, especially for uh, for for Carlisle. But um, yeah. I don't. I really don't know. Jordan Ibe, I think, has still got something to offer. Um, Lise Mousset, some interesting murmurings because I've got a contact uh, regarding Lise Mousset. Uh, can't I? Ooh. Yeah, and I don't really want to put anyone in it, so to speak. So I will mention it off air to you, Sean. But whether he? Oh, you can't. No, do I can't. That, there's, Sammy. No, there's, no it, name. It, no it, names. It, but we need. We need unfair. the intel. Um, no, I, I actually cannot mention anything. I really cannot. Maybe I'll, um, maybe I'll have a word and just clarify what I can and, and cannot say about, um, where their family is deciding to live. Uh, um, but anyway, let's, let's not talk about that too much. But, um, least we say, uh, I don't think it's going to feature, uh, Max Gradle, I think, it would be great to see him again. I don't know how fit he is. I'm assuming he's fit, but he just he just doesn't seem to get a look in. Um, I don't go with this kind of Ryan Fraser, let's play him every week, as he seems to be getting a look in regularly. I think Jordan Ibe needs to start. I also think Benekafobe should be starting as well with Josh King out on the right. But then you see him knocking in a couple of goals on Saturday and, you know, the, the first of which was extremely well taken. And I was just trying to think to myself... I don't think there's another AFC Bournemouth player that could do what Josh King did 
with that first goal. Jack Wilsh, a lovely dink, as he usually does, and he took it down on his chest. What a lovely little touch. And then he was in the right place at the right time for the second. I think that many Bournemouth players could have done that. But um, for the first time, I'm completely baffled uh, with what Eddie's going to do. But Eddie has always shown us that what you think he should do and what you expect him to do is not going to be what he's going to do. So what are we going to have? Lewis Cook in midfield, yes. Bailey Cargill at the back, and maybe Sam Surridge up front. Who knows? <laughs> oh, see, now that, <laughs> as crazy as it sounds, would be incredibly exciting and different. And who knows? Maybe that is the... But some somebody's. I still believe someone is going to come good, and someone is going to pick this team up and take us on a good run. I believe we've got the players to do it, but I just think like there's going to be... There needs to be a moment or or something to spark mm. us back into life, and yeah, who knows? It's, it's someone's got to. Do it's it. so important in this match. It's so important, and Eddie's going to be emphasising this to the lads. I'm sure we need to start off high tempo, fast, like we did against Arsenal. We need an early goal. I absolutely fear for us now when we concede first because. It seems that whenever we go one goal down, the team just becomes demoralised so quickly, and there's such a lack of invention, um, a lack of sort of uh, you know ideas around the pitch, and players are flailing their arms about. But we need to take the lead and just don't do what we did against Arsenal, please. Well, yeah, but then I'm still of the mindset though that. The reality is that we are playing an incredibly good football team. Like the level, you just look at the players that mm. they've got, whatever. They are yeah, an absolute class ahead of us. And that's the thing I'm mindful of is is not building up the players or the team too much in terms of this is where the revival starts. Now, if, if we got a great result against them, the end, yes, it absolutely could kickstart the season. Although Leicester would probably be a good example where you can get a great result against a big team and still go on a poor run. But for me, it's it's maintaining that level so that we can try and build, but we face realities of who we're playing. And that's not me trying to be negative. It's just the realities of the situation. I think there's bigger games for us coming up that are w more winnable. But a good performance would see us go in the right direction. So stop sitting on that fence, Sean. Come on, let's make a decision now. What What are you thinking? Um, uh, okay, yeah, head and heart for this one. All right, well, I had a go on FIFA 17 because I, I, I was baffled as to what was going to happen. So I thought I'd play the game with, with the team that I felt could play, and it's based on current form because that's how the game, it detects who's up and who's down and all that stuff. I set it onto legendary, which is the highest game level you can play the game because that was where I was feeling Man City were going to be at versus us. Sammy, it didn't start well. We passed the ball around. We gave it away needlessly up front. They went down the other end. Yaya Torre scored, put them one up. And I thought, uh-oh, this is going to be a hard day at the office. Made a couple of changes. Maxi Gradle came on in the second half. Charlie Daniels got us back in the game. one all in the 80th minute. The 90th minute, we concede a corner in front of the north stand. Oh, no, Torre's going to pop up and head one home. We clear it. Boric, great big punch, I think it was. King through ball, a phobe, one-on-one with Bravo, slots it away, runs all the way back to jump into Eddie Howe's hands and arms, and we win 2-1. That's my heart, my head, 3-0, City. <laughs> I could just imagine you in New Zealand there. Sky, your daughter's asking, Daddy, can you read me a bedtime story? And you come out with this FIFA blurb for about three minutes and end and end with the disappointment of a 3-0 defeat. That's, oh, for me though, Sean, um, yeah, I would like to think that we can get something out of this. I'm not going to be so positive as to think we can win. It's going to be a difficult match. I would be more than ecstatic with a one-all. I would be surprised with a one-all based on the amount of goals we concede. Um, okay, head, well, heart first, two-all. Uh, head, sadly, is a Man City win. But I don't necessarily think it's going to be one where we capitulate, roll over. I think it could be a one-nil. So, yeah, there's hope yet. Now, if you want to check out the incredible 
FIFA 17 game I played. It has been uploaded onto the interweb. So if you go to twitter.com forward slash AFCB podcast, it has been posted. You can watch the delights of the game, including, I never noticed this on FIFA before, as the Bournemouth fans are celebrating at the end of the game, a steward jumps over the advertising board to try and bring a bit of calmness, and he slips over in the background and falls over. Nice touch, FIFA. Hi, this is Gary Chapman, the bloke who stands in the back of the North Stands shouting, Up the cherries! You're listening to Back of the Net. So you've had a good chunk of time to think about it already, but do you remember at the start of the show we had those clips from an AFC Bournemouth match from yesteryear? Now, if you want another reminder, here it is again. The Londoners were soon showing Mel Machin's team what they're up against as they dominated the first quarter of an hour. The first half then safely negotiated, and ten minutes into the second, the sweetest moment of Bournemouth's season. Scott Mean the scorer, and second division survival starting to look possible. It would be brighter than ever if they could find a way back. Paul Abraham's obliged. So Steve Jones must have been as surprised as anyone to get a free run on goal. And Bournemouth 2-1 up with 16 minutes to go. Closest rivals Cambridge could only draw at home to Huddersfield. Bournemouth, for the first time all season, are out of the relegation zone. Two points clear. So, Sean, you were there at this match, I think. I've got a feeling you know what it is. You said you knew what it was, but let's see if the proof is in the pudding. Mr Barker, name the match, please. And also, as a bonus, Brucey bonus point, what was the year as well? Sammy, it was the great escape. It was Brentford away. It was 1995. And I, I have often talked about it on the show because it, it will live with me forevermore. That whole season was just an absolute incredible ride with Machin helping us out, new players coming in, the run of form, the, the, everything about it. But Go, I still remember, I can remember I went on the travel club for the game. I remember going to the coach up. I remember walking to the ground, really not thinking we're going to get anything out of it because Brentford needed to win to try and get automatic promotion. Their fans were pumping. Our end was packed. I was in the lower tier of the multi-story car park end, you know, with all the concrete around, right up by the goal. And honestly, I can still, I can close my eyes and I can still smell the cigarettes and bovril and sweat of that away end i can see scott mean lashing that goal in i can see jonesy doing that incredible run back to halfway and then the the endless amounts of corners that brentford had in the injury time and yeah wow very special thanks sammy (laughs) you could smell the cigarettes the bovril and the sweat but that was just Gary Chapman, eh, Sean? Oh, <laughs> sorry, Gary. And you tell you what, it's really interesting watching that video because it's available on YouTube. And at the end, you see the fans celebrating with the players going over, John Williams going over, hugging the supporters. I've never seen a bigger array of curtain haircuts ever, I think. It's incredible. <laughs> I would have been one of them. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Well, uh, Sean, it's been a wonderful time working with you, but it does take time doing this show. And we, to be fair, if you go to afcbpodcast.com forward slash shop, why not show your appreciation and buy an Eddie Had a Dream t-shirt? We don't make much from it, but it does help to pay for our hosting charges uh, with all the bandwidth that we're using. And uh, of course, Sean and my time as well. Um, thank you very much for all who've donated. We truly Truly appreciate it with the bottom of our hearts. And um, we really hope you're enjoying every single show that we do. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. And if you do want to donate, just go to afcbpodcast.com slash donate. 
Cool. Thank you very much, everyone. And if you want to play me at FIFA 17, I went through a bit of a quiet spell because I was in some bad form, but I am back with a vengeance. Send me a message on Twitter. I want to make it happen. It needs to be late night, early morning if you're in the UK to counter my New Zealand Times. Or if you are down south, let's do it. We'll do it on a lunchtime. Oh, it'll be glorious. Either way, hopefully we can relive the 2-1 victory at home to Man City, which I experienced while playing the game. Or maybe we won't. Either way, it's going to be an interesting ride between now and the end of the season. But we will bring it all to you from our living rooms with future episodes of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Beyond Walker. Pew. Pew! That'll do it! That will do it! Pew for Bournemouth! The roof of the Gold Sands is raised! Everyone here knows what that could mean to this football club. Podcast Network.